26. I don't know what these scissors are doing up here. I don't know if somebody wants me to cut my sermon or what, but uh, <laughs> it's not going to work. Amen. Acts chapter number 11 this morning and verse number 26. The word of the Lord says, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Notice this last sentence. It says, And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. I'm using for a subject this morning, real Christians. Real Christians. Father, I just pray today, Lord, that, that those of us that are here today are not just Christian in name only, but Father, I pray that we are indeed real Christians. And if we are not, I pray, Lord, that from this day forward, we will determine in our heart that we will become a real Christian. Father, just uh, anoint the message, the messenger, Lord. Help us to have ears to hear the word of the Lord, we ask. We ask all of these things in the name of the Lord. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. Praise you may be reseated this morning. Listen, friend, Christianity has many impostures. Not everybody that claims to be a Christian really is. I believe that some have been fooled into believing that they are a Christian when indeed they are not. And I believe that, that there are people that pretend to be Christians when in fact they are not. Well, this morning I want us to make an acrostic with this word real, R-E-A-L. And with each letter of this word, I'm going to give a partial explanation. How many know, uh, I got that. How many of you know that, uh, you know, you, you just don't have time to deliver everything that you want to on a Sunday morning? So this morning I'm just giving you a partial explanation of what real Christians uh, are supposed to be like. So let's, let's begin with the word real this morning. And for the R in the word real, real Christians, I submit to you, are redeemed. Real Christians are redeemed. Now, America was once known as a Christian nation. I, I understand that experts tell us today that no longer is America a Christian nation. Well, whether or not it is, uh, it, it, besides all of that, being born in America, that in and of itself does not automatically make you a Christian. And there are a lot of people that think just because I live in America, especially when it was a Christian nation, because I, I'm an American, I am therefore a Christian. Well, no, you're not. Just because you live in a Christian nation, that in and of itself does not make you a Christian. How many understand that being born into a Christian family, that in and of itself does not make you a Christian, because the Bible says that each and every individual person must make their own decision personally as to whether or not they are going to become a Christian. Only those that have been redeemed are real Christians. Well, you might say, well, pastor, what does it mean to be redeemed? Well, the word redeem means to buy. It means to purchase. It means to pay off. Uh, it means to buy back. It means to recover something that has been lost. The Bible teaches us that in the beginning of time, as we know time, the Bible says that God made man and that man belonged to God because man was the creation of God. 
But God did not want man to be a robot. God did not want man to love him and live for him and serve him uh, because he was a robot and had no choice. God didn't want to make a robot, so he did not make a robot. Instead, he gave man the power of choice. He allowed man to be able to choose. And eventually, man chose to disobey God. And because man disobeyed God, the Bible says that sin entered into the world. And the Bible says that sin separates man from God. Sin separated God from his creation called man. And the only way that man could be reunited with God was if man were redeemed or purchased or bought back. But listen, that is exactly what was done. Let me suggest, first of all, it's in your notes this morning on the back of your bulletin. Let me suggest, first of all, that man was redeemed by the Father. Man was redeemed by the Father. John 3, 16 says that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever would believe upon Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 says that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people, zealous of good works. You see, God was so in love with His creation called man that when man chose to rebel and sin against God, the separation that sin caused broke the Father's heart. It broke the Father's heart. And because God loved man so much, He was willing to go to any length. He was willing to pay any price that must be paid in order to redeem or purchase or buy man back. And the price that God had to pay in this redemption process was the death of His perfect and sinless Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross. God paid the ultimate price for the redemption of man. But let me suggest also, not only was man redeemed by the Father, but man was redeemed by faith. Man was redeemed by faith. John 3.16 again says that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believeth in Him, say believeth in Him, that anybody that would believe in Him uh, would not have to perish but would have everlasting life. You see, redemption requires faith on the part of man. Now, I understand that there's absolutely nothing that man can do for himself in order to save himself. Nothing that man can do for himself in order to redeem himself. No amount of good works or deeds or good behavior could purchase redemption. Only God and what God did for man when he put his only son on the cross. Only God and what he did for man can redeem man. You've heard me say it a million times. I say it again. God doing for us what we could never ever do for ourselves. Now that being said, man has his part in the redemption process. How many understand that God has his part, but we have our part? Say our part. And what is man's part? Well, man's part is faith. It's faith. John 3, 16, that whosoever believeth in him. Whoever believes in Him will not perish and have everlasting life. What God did for man by placing His Son on the cross, listen, that will not redeem man unless man has faith to believe it. 
I said what God did, amen, by, place, by placing Jesus Christ on the cross and placing the sin of man upon his son and his son becoming the substitute, amen, his son becoming a scapegoat, his son becoming the Savior. But what God did for man is ineffective unless man will believe it. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm talking about real Christians today. Only those that have been redeemed by the Father. Only those that have been redeemed by faith. Only those people are real, authentic, genuine, born-again Christians. My question to you today is, are you a real Christian? Are you a real Christian? Christian. Let's talk about the E in our acrostic of the word real this morning. Let me suggest to you this morning that real Christians are examples. Amen? Amen. Real Christians are examples. How many understand that truth is revealed through action? Now, you can say that you love your spouse, but if you treat them like dirt, you don't really love them. But he says he loves me. Yeah, but he's beating you. He doesn't love you. You don't don't love somebody you're beating. You don't beat somebody and love them. Whether you're beating them up physically or verbally or any other way. Truth is revealed by actions. Listen, friend, you can say until you're blue in the face that you are a Christian. But if you don't act like one, you're really not one. Well, that's pretty straight, Pastor. Well, yeah. This book's pretty straight. Let me suggest two areas where real Christians should be examples in. First of all, the first one is in our words. The words we speak reveal much about us. You've heard me say this many times. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. See, our mouth gives us away every time. You can say you're a Christian, but if your speech is not that, uh, the speech of a Christian, then you're not. Because what comes out of the mouth comes straight from the heart. Somebody said it this way, whatever's in the well is going to come out in the bucket. How many understand people in the world have their language? It's sensual, it's edgy, it's filled with innuendos, it's vulgar, it's vile. The world has its own language. Friend, God's people should have a different vocabulary than people who serve the God of this world. Ephesians 4 and 29 says, Do not use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Colossians 3 and 8 says, now is the, is the time to get rid of, of, and here's a whole list. What do we need to get rid of? Paul says get rid of anger, get rid of rage, get rid of malicious behavior, get rid of slander. And Paul said get rid of dirty language. Ephesians 5 and 12 says that it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. So let me suggest to you this morning that real Christians do not use profanity. 
Real Christians don't use profanity. Real Christians don't use sexual innuendos. Real Christians don't tell dirty jokes. Real Christians are examples in the words that they choose to speak. Let me tell you something, friend. The world is watching us and the world is listening to us. And they expect us to be different from them. They hold us to a higher standard. Listen, you don't need pastor to hold you to a higher standard. I'm telling you that the sinners that you work around, the sinners that you associate with, the sinners that, are, that, that you know, they are the ones themselves that are holding you as a Christian, as a child of God. They are holding you to a higher standard. And the sad fact of the matter is most of the time they're disappointed. Listen, how in the world are we going to have any influence over them if we look and if we act and if we talk just like they do? And please hear me this morning, hear me clearly. We don't talk pure in order to be saved. I'm not talking about a works salvation this morning. I'm not talking about a legalistic. You've got to do this and that. You can't do this and that. I'm not talking about salvation this morning or, or, or that, that works is essential to us getting saved. We don't talk pure in order to be saved, but as a part of the proof that we are saved. Like that illustration, that... Uh, a commercial on TV a few years ago, the proof is in the pudding. Amen. I mean, remember that one, you know? And it was saying, you know, we don't have to tell you how good it is. All you got to do is taste it. And if you'll taste it, you'll see that the proof is in the pudding. Listen, the proof ought to be in us this morning. Amen. Amen. Now, hear me this morning. I'm not suggesting that we become some super Spiritual. I have problems with super spiritual saints too. I actually probably have more trouble with the super spiritual than I do the carnal. I'm not suggesting that we become super spiritual. I'm not, I'm not suggesting we put on some plastic, ridiculous uh, image. I'm not suggesting we walk around all the time saying, Praise the Lord. Glory to God. <laughs> How many syllables is in God anyway? God. <laughs> Come on. I'm not, I'm not suggesting we, we become some kind of a spiritual, super spiritual. I, I'm not suggesting we put on some kind of a plastic made up image. And, and, and hear me. I'm certainly not suggesting that we chastise them for their profanity and their dirty, ta- their dirty talk. Listen, they are sinners. And sinners sin. And sinners act like sin. Uh, uh, sinners act like sinners. At least if they're any good at it, they do. But we're saints. We're not sinners. And saints look and act and talk different than sinners. 2 Corinthians 6 and 17, Paul says, Come out from among unbelievers and separate yourself from them, says the Lord, and don't touch their filthy things, and then I'm going to welcome you, is what the Lord says. But no, Not only are real Christians examples in words, but also in works. Now hear me this morning, Christians... Don't do good works in order to be saved. They do good works because they are saved. Good works are a natural byproduct 
of Christianity. Titus chapter 2 and verse 7 says, And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. And verse 14 says we should be totally committed to doing good works. And then look with me in the book of James chapter number 2. The book of James chapter number 2 and verse uh, number 14. James says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have any works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them anything, you don't give them the things that are needed for the body, what does that profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Somebody will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. James said, I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe there's one God? Well, that's, well, whoopee-doo, he says. He's what he said right there, (laughs) whoopee-doo. You believe that there is one God? You do well. (laughs) Even the demons believe. Whoopee-doo. Even the, uh, the demons believe and tremble. But do you, know, do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. What is James saying here? Is it faith or is it works? Here, he's simply saying that if you have real faith, if you are a real Christian, your faith will be accompanied by good works. True faith, real faith is proven by good works. So how do you answer this question? Are you a real Christian? Well, real Christians are examples. Real Christians prove that they are Christians. They prove it by their actions, by the words that they speak, and by the works that they perform. My question to you today, is there any proof of your Christianity? Let me ask you this morning, if you were arrested, if you were on trial in a court of law for being a real Christian, let me ask you, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Let me ask you this morning, are you doing anything for God? Are you doing anything for God? Are you working for Him in any manner? Well, Pastor, what what can I do? Well, what are you good at? Do that. Well, what needs to be done? Well, do that. Well, what opportunities are available to you right now? Well, do that. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8 says, In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, then speak, uh, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, then serve them well. If you are a teacher, then teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, then be encouraging. If it is giving, then give generously. 
Uh, if God has given you leadership ability, then take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. The Bible says that every one of us have received a gift from God. Every one of us God has equipped to do something for Him. And we need to discover what that gift is and what it is that we are good at and what it is that we have the blessing of God uh, at in our life. And then we need to find some place to put that to use. And we're talking about real Christians this morning. We're making an acrostic out of the word real for the A in this acrostic. Let me suggest that real Christians are aliens. Real Christians are aliens. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents. Say temporary residents. I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. To keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. I tell you, friend, you've heard it many times, but it bears repeating. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. Philippians 3 and 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Real Christians are aliens in this world. Listen, friend, we don't fit the mold. Maybe I should rephrase that. We should not fit the mold. We're aliens. We, 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 we don't fit the mold. We're, we're, like, we're like a square peg in a round hole. We're misfits. Three things that mark us as aliens. First of all, we possess a different character. Titus 2 and 12 says, Real Christians deny ungodliness and worldly lust. They live soberly, they live righteously, and they live godly in this present world. Somebody said it right when they said, If it looks like a duck and it waddles like a duck and it quacks like a duck, more than likely it's a duck. Well, here's what I say. I say if you look like the world and you talk like the world and you act like the world, then you're of the world. Because real Christians, on the other hand, look like Jesus, act like Jesus, and talk like Jesus. And Jesus didn't go around saying, praise the Lord, glory to God. (laughs) He hung out at the fishing docks. Those guys cursed. They told dirty jokes. They, you know, it was a spitting whittle club. I mean, it was nasty down there. Jesus didn't curse, he didn't tell dirty jokes, he didn't, but, but you know what, he, you know, he, he was Jesus, but you know what, he wasn't super spiritual. He was just light in a dark place. Can't tell you how often I've been about halfway through a golf round when, when, when men, you know, because that's all we know how to talk about, it's what we do, and finally about, you know, halfway through the golf round, the question comes up, what do you do? And they've been cussing and spitting and telling dirty jokes and drinking their beer and all this kind of stuff. And, and then they find out I'm a pastor. And they just about choke on their tobacco. And they'll apologize. Nine times out of ten, they'll apologize. I say, look, you don't answer to me. Now, you have to answer to him. I'll tell him. You don't answer to me. I'm no better than you are. You don't answer to me. Now you do answer to him, but you don't have, you don't have to apologize to me. Amen. Amen. 
Real Christians possess a different character. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 through 20, by their fruit, you're going to know them. And Jesus said a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. You know, the thought of heaven is not all that appealing to some Christians because they have fallen in love with the world. In fact, I, I, and, and I, I will have to take this as well. How long has it been since you heard a message on heaven? We used to hear them all the time and sing about it all the time. How long has it been since we've heard anybody talk about heaven or any preacher preach about heaven or even sing about heaven? You see, the thought of heaven is not all that, uh, all that appealing to us for some of us because we have fallen in love with the world. Now please hear me clearly. I'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy our lives. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having fun. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with engaging in wholesome entertainment. I am saying that the spirit of the world, which is sensual in nature, has no place in the life of a real Christian. Real Christians are aliens. They, they possess not only a different character, but also they possess a different conflict. A different conflict, Ephesians uh, chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6, verse 10 through 12. Paul writes and he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Let me tell you something, friend. Your problem is not your problem. Your problem is not your problem. You think that your problem is with a certain person. You think that your problem is a certain situation or a certain circumstance. It's not so. Your problem is not your problem. Your problem is really not a physical problem. Your problem is a spiritual thing. And the battle that you are in is not really with your husband, it's not really with your wife, it's not really with your boss, it's not really with whoever it is you are fighting with. Paul said we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He said, but we wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, friend, we have a problem, and the problem is that the devil is real, and the devil hates us, and he's going to do everything to uh, put down, and, and he's going to, uh, and he hates us, and he hates everything that we stand for. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4 says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. But, in, but instead, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the stronghold of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Real Christians are aliens. They possess a different character. They, they, they possess a different conflict and, and they, possess, they, they possess a different countenance. I like this one. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verse 8 through 15. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. 
There arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, uh, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders, and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs by uh, which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. Real Christians possess a different countenance. Real Christians react differently to problems and persecution than people of the world do. You see, for the world, happiness determines, is determined by what's happening. For the world, their countenance reflects their circumstances. This was not the case with Stephen, one of the very first Christians. He, he, he is being falsely accused. He is being lied about. He has been set up. He, he is a- actually facing execution. Oh, but the Bible said when the people looked into the face of Stephen, what did they see? Did they see anxiety? Did they see fear? Did they see terror? Verse 15, and all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at Stephen saw his face as the face of an angel. You see, in the midst of persecution, Stephen remained peaceful. In the midst of conflict, Stephen remained calm. Stephen understood that as a Christian, he was an alien in this world. He understood that he was being prepared for another world. He was being prepared for another place, a place called heaven. And as an alien in this world, Stephen possessed a different countenance. My question to you today is, are you a real Christian? Are you an alien in this world? Or does this world seem like home to you? Do you fit in this world? Is this world comfortable to you? Is there any real difference between you and the people of this world? Let me ask you this morning, are you more like Stephen or are you more like Demas? Paul said about Demas, who at one time was a, was a fellow worker and associate of the Apostle Paul. But Paul said about Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. He said, Demas has forsaken me, oh, having loved this present world. We're talking about real Christians this morning. We're making an acrostic with the word real. Real Christians are redeemed. They're examples. They're aliens. And for the letter L, I'm using the word Real Christians are loving. Amen. Real Christians are loving. John 13 and 35, Jesus said, By this all will know that you are my disciples. By what? 
By what? By you, by, by us, by us carrying around a 12 pound, 12 pound Bible and hitting everybody on the head with it when they break one of its commandments? Jesus said, by this you're going to know that people are going to know you're my disciples. By what? A huge sign of John 3.16 that we hold up at a ball game or on a street corner? Jesus said, by this you're, everybody's going to know that you're my disciples. By what? By what? The Christianese, the Christianese that we speak using King James Version language. How art thou, my beloved? I beseech thee, blessed one of the Lord. Jesus said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. By what? By what? Jesus said that you love one another. Real Christians are loving. That's news to some of our folks. To some of the meanest people I've ever met, I met at church. Real Christians are loving. Let me suggest two things that a real Christian's love is. First of all, let me suggest that that, that a real Christian, their love is unconditional. Their love is unconditional. Now, Now, man's love, on the other hand, is absolutely, totally conditional. Man, man loves, his love is conditional. Man loves those that love him. Man loves those that treat him right. Remember when we were in grade school? Can some of you, some of you can you remember back that far? Remember when we were, we were in grade school? Remember the notes we used to write? We'd write them to somebody that we wanted to go with. I don't know why we called it going with somebody because we never went anywhere. But if we wanted to go with somebody in the third, fourth, fifth grade, we wrote them a note. And the, the note went something like this. I love you. Do you love me? If you do, check yes. And we had a little box out there. Huh? If you don't, Check no, and we had a little box out there. Huh? And we had our best friend deliver the note. Well, I always went a step further. Remember, I'm a pit bull. Started way back there. And when I wrote a note to somebody I wanted to go with, not only did I say, I love you, do you love me? If, so, if you do, check yes. If you don't, check no. I would always end the note by saying, P.S., if you don't love me, I hate your guts. <laughs> Man's love is totally conditional. Man will fall in and out of love based on how somebody looks or how somebody acts or based on who's available at the time. God's love is unconditional. And as Christians, we are supposed 
to possess God's love in us. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 46 through 48, if you love only those that love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, oh, how are you any different from anybody else? Even pagans do that. Oh, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So a real Christian's love is an unconditional love. Real Christians love because they decide to love. Real Christians love because God's love flows through them. And when it is just humanly impossible to love somebody that is totally unlovable to you, oh, you can love them with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5 verse 5 says, Oh, we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Spirit uh, to fill our hearts with His love. A real Christian's love is not only unconditional, but let me suggest also it's uncommon. Matthew 5, verse 43 through 45. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You will love your neighbor and you can hate your enemy. But Jesus said, This is what I say, Love your enemy. Bless those that curse you. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for them who spitefully use you and persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Wow! How in the world could anybody ever do that? Well, let me suggest we can't. We can't. Not on our own anyway. Only with the love of the Lord. Only through God's love can we even come close to this. But God's love flows through real Christians. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 1 through 4. Incredible, incredible passage. It says this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing it to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Verse 2, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him. The One who has called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. I'm out of time, but oh, I need an hour here. This is incredible. Two incredible things in this passage. First of all, it tells us that God gives us more and more grace. More and more grace. There are two types of grace. Most people only are aware of one type of grace. But there are actually two types of grace. Or maybe I should say there are two parts of grace. The first one is saving grace. Saving grace. We cannot be saved without grace. Saving grace is unmerited favor. The unmerited love and favor of God. Where God gives us what we do not deserve. The second part of grace is sustaining grace. Sustaining grace. A lot of people don't know anything about sustaining grace. They know about saving grace, but they don't know about sustaining grace. Sustaining grace is unlimited power to live out our salvation. God just does it all for us, doesn't He? Amen. He gives us saving grace or grace to be saved, and then He will give us sustaining grace or grace that will help us live out our salvation. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that incredible? Verse 3, by His divine power, God has given us, God has given us everything, say everything. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. 
Well, pastor, I just can't live it. Yes, you can. God has given you sustaining grace. Amen. Wow, you ought to be shouting on that one. Amen. I know it's the nine o'clock crowd, but you ought to be shouting on that one. The second incredible thing in that passage is that God shares His divine, glo- uh, His divine nature with us. God shares His divine nature with us. Verse 4, He enables you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. You see, our nature is to love those that love us and hate those that hate us. Oh, Our nature is to do good to those that do good to us and do bad to those that do bad to us. But real Christians refuse to yield to their human nature, but instead they allow God's nature that He is willing to share with us to flow through them. Oh, I wish I had an hour here. We get the worship team back in place this morning, please. Let me illustrate this this morning as we close. Mother Teresa was seen nursing a man with an open leprous wound. The one that was watching Mother Teresa nurse that open leprous wound, this person said to Mother Teresa, said, said, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. Mother Teresa said, neither would I. You see, what she would not do for a million dollars, she gladly did over and over and over and over again. Because Mother Teresa possessed an uncommon love. There you have it this morning, an acrostic describing real Christians. The question of the day is, are we real Christians? Or are we just imposters? Are we real Christians this morning, or are we just wannabes? Let me ask you this morning, if we were tried... In a court of law for being a real Christian, would there be enough evidence in our life to convict us? The question of the day is, are you a real Christian? Ask yourself today, am I a real Christian? Am I redeemed? Have I truly been redeemed or do I just come to church? Have I ever genuinely been saved? Have I ever genuinely given my heart and my life to Christ? Because only, only those that have been redeemed by the Father and through faith are real Christians. Am I an example? Am I an example in word? What comes out of my mouth? Am I just as likely to use sexual innuendos as the world is? Am I just as likely to use profanity as the sinner that's in the cubicle next to me? Again, you can't get saved by, by, by you know, uh, I don't cuss, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't do all those... No, no, no. But listen, if you are a real Christian, if you've really given your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever's on the inside is going to come out right here. It's going to come out in the mouth. 
And the world is looking at us and they're listening to us and they have set us up at a higher standard. And most of the time, they're disappointed in us. How about my works? Am I doing anything for God or do I just show up two or three times a month at church and maybe put a little dribble in the offering and go about my merry way? Am I doing anything for God? Am I an alien? Do I possess a different character? And do I, or am I in love with this world? Do I fit in this world? Or am I like a square peg trying to be put in a round hole? And am I loving? Is the love of God shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit? Am I loving? Or am I meaner than a junkyard dog? What kind of spirit do I have? What kind of attitude? What kind of... Am I really loving? Jesus said, real Christians, they're going to know you're my, my disciples if you're loving. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed this morning. Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus. I just pray, Father, if there's anyone in this room today, they're not a real Christian. Maybe they're a wannabe. Or maybe they've even been fooled into believing that they are when really and truly they're not. Father, I pray today, today they'll become a real, genuine, born again child of God. Someone who doesn't just talk the talk, but somebody who also walks the walk. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed for just a couple of minutes this morning. Nobody's going to be looking about. Nobody's seeing you this morning, but you're here this morning under the sound of my voice. And you say, you know what? As you described a real Christian this morning, you know what? I'm not sure I am. I'm not sure I am a real Christian. But I want to be. I want to be this morning and I want to lift my hand and I want to ask the Lord to help me to become a real Christian in every area of my life. Anyone in this room lift their hand? I'm not sure I am but I want to be this morning. Anyone? Lift your hand. Thank you. God bless you, sir. You can put your hand down now. Somebody else this morning, I'm not sure I really am a real Christian. I want to be. I want to be. I'm not sure I am. Anyone else join this gentleman this morning? Will you be honest? Will you be honest today? Anybody else today? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. If I were tried in a court of law, I'm not sure there's enough evidence in my life to convict me of being a real Christian. Is that you this morning? Is that you this morning? Anyone else? Amen. Would you stand with me in the presence of the Lord this morning?